This is Reimagining Healthcare, a podcast about innovation in the healthcare industry. It's a show for healthcare business owners, for healthcare professionals, for industry investors, and health tech entrepreneurs. On the show, I talk to health tech and healthcare innovators to uncover how they're reimagining and building a world of seamless digital healthcare experiences and how that fits into people's lives. I'm your host, Yanni Sapanos. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Cam McDonald, a dietitian, an exercise physiologist, a PhD scholar, and leader in personalized health. He's also CEO of PH360, a provider of the Shea Health Tech Lifestyle application, along with supporting programs, education, coaching, and implementation of personalization in healthcare to both individuals and healthcare professionals. We speak about Shea. It's a personal health assistant technology that's using artificial intelligence and deep learning technology to provide you with timely, relevant, and personalized information, inspiration, and motivation to accomplish your healthcare goals. Sound interesting? Well, Dr. Cam shares his passion, his history, his knowledge of the latest research into body types, genetics, and environmental influences to promote health in ways that are tailored to each client and how that is supporting better adherence and outcomes overall. Let's jump in. Well, hey there, Dr. Cam. How are you today? I'm really well, thanks, Yanni. How are you going? I'm fantastic, thanks for uh, making the time today. I guess just uh, as we get into it, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and a little bit about your background, and then we'll, we'll move into what you're currently doing and where you're going. I originated in Gundagai, New South Wales. I uh, did my first 12 years there and then headed up to school in Sydney, from the country town to the city, I was really good at stuff at Gundagai and then not so good at stuff in Sydney because there was just so much more skill and talent in the much larger school. <laughs> um, so then I got through, really enjoyed my high school years and then went into exercise physiology, which I just always really enjoyed sport and science. And so I went that way. And then towards the end of that degree, I had some really profound lecturers who were uh, telling me about how you can improve diabetes with exercise. And I was thinking, well, why isn't everyone doing this? this is, um, we've got to be doing this. It makes no sense that everybody would be sitting still at home by themselves. So I got really interested in diabetes and the disease processes and ended up doing my Master's of Dietetics, chasing more knowledge in that space and knowing how I could have more impact. So became a dietitian, was working in hospital for a year and a half, really wonderful private hospital in, in Brisbane working on the cardiac wards, talking about prevention and also management of, you know, prevention of secondary events because we always had a lot of people coming in after they'd had surgery or something like that. And I got really passionate. I made a 15-minute presentation, a hour-and-a-half presentation for some of the inmates after their heart surgery because I was just, you have to know this information and I will have an impact on you for the rest of your life. That was at least my opinion. So that was really fascinating. I got really interested in inflammation and exercise, omega-3s, and that ended up being my PhD in uh, a breast cancer survivor group and looking at how we could maximize their post-treatment recovery with omega-3 and exercise and what kind of effect that would have. So I was in private practice during my PhD and I was literally just throwing omega-3 pills at people and making everyone do HIIT training because I thought it was the be-all, end-all. But what I noticed was that people were not always getting the same result I was giving them the same protocol or evidence-based best protocol based on the RCTs that we had available and I would find some people would kill it and other people would not 
And I spent a lot of my career at that time blaming them for not doing it well. And then I realized that people are actually different, not just the information that they need and the strategies that they need are different, but also how I communicate that to them as well. And so I then started on a bit of a journey with um, the leading epigenetics platform. Right then I, I met the CEO and founder of that's PH360. And I've uh, been working with him for the last six, seven years actually with a, quite a, a cool team educating health professionals on how to understand epigenetics, how to navigate through personalization and how it doesn't just leak into nutrition and what a person needs in any given environment, but the exercise, the timing of those things, this, the optimal sleep, even how their brain gets put to work and what time that works and how their brain is likely to respond to various environmental stimuli. And so just understanding all of that information now, I've been lucky enough just to see a few clients every now and again. I'm mostly at a clinic now, but just educating a lot of health pros. When I do, it's, it's really a matter of when a person resolves their diabetes, not if. Consistency and result has been just so encouraging and uh, we've been able to take that into corporate settings and even into children, schools and teachers and, and gyms as well. So that whole journey from you know just being very, very passionate about making sure everyone got enough omega-3 right through to, well, you know, is omega-3 in high amounts even appropriate for this person? But you know, what really is the best thing for this individual and how can we help them live their potential? So that's very much the path that I'm on now and uh, it's, it's been a pretty cool space for the last few years doing that. I remember when I uh, got exposure to uh, PH360, it was fascinating to me just how much work had been done on identifying those different types of humans. You know, in digital health terms, I'm fascinated and very interested in how we personalize healthcare and how we actually develop that both at a um, professional service delivery level as well as the technology. And so this conversation will take us into both those uh, particular areas. But um, perhaps um, there's, a, there's a few things I just wanted to touch on as, uh, as I was listening to you. So diabetes, type 2 and type 1, or is it type 2? What can you do for people with type 1 diabetes as well? Definitely type 2 uh, classical, you know, weight gain related, meta-inflammation related, the change you can see in a metabolism with the appropriate intervention is very rapid. When it comes to type 1, you're dealing with a slightly different beast. And so it will depend on, you know, how much of the uh, pancreatic tissue that's relevant to insulin creation is still available. There's a thought process that some of that is renewable. However, a, a disease is obviously driving that process as to why it's breaking down. And so, to say here that we're going to be fixing type 1 diabetes at this point in time, it's probably a little bit beyond where even precision medicine can go right now. However, every person with type 1 diabetes is having to guess their insulin levels and or to guess them but calculate them. And they're always looking for an optimal balance of what is the amount of insulin that you need to remain healthy and also manage your blood sugar levels. And there are so many things that impact blood sugar control by understanding personalization, you can understand why it's colder outside. Therefore, you might need a different amount of insulin or a different amount of food versus, you know, you've just come from a very stressful social situation and this is the way your body responds. Just having a, uh, a lens to there are so many other things outside of the carbohydrate-insulin ratio that actually impact things. And even the micronutrient availability and general levels of stress and inflammation in the body, all of that can be significantly reduced to optimize the amount of insulin that you would need because insulin is a, is a growth factor. It's got a number of great properties, but in excess is not good either. 
And so being able to optimize and, and make your body as insulin sensitive as possible and that process as predictable as possible is what you can really gain from this too. So just the, the ability to manage that condition is just uh, made far easier as well. So curing it will probably be on the, on the cards as we get further into stem cells and, and more, more crafty with how we can regenerate tissues that otherwise don't regenerate very quickly. But what we're talking about right now is very much lifestyle medicine and, and really optimizing metabolic function. So things like that become easier to manage for sure. That makes a lot of sense. I, I thought I'd just uh, ask the question in case there had been some advances in the uh, type one side of that. So, yeah. um, and the other thing that you mentioned there was about working with and educating health professionals. What type of health professionals are you typically working with? So it's fairly reflective of the population that we have at the moment. We have a small amount of GPs that are coming through. And in the same room, we've got pharmacists, we have dietitians, exercise physiologists, physiotherapists, naturopaths. That creates maybe 30% of our population, 30 to 40% of our population. And then we have a lot of our fitness industry health professionals as well that are coming along to learn about personalization and understanding more about their clients' exercise. So it's the full spread of our spectrum, which is really exciting because we have the same professionals in the same room learning the same stuff and really interacting in a great way. So it's it's very transferable, the information that we're teaching. Do you think uh, mental health professionals could uh, align with the educational content and work it into their own programs? So yes, uh, we, we definitely have some of those folk, absolutely. Because I guess they don't normally position themselves in the same space as anything else other than psychological intervention. And you know, personalized health and precision health is often much more spoken about in nutrition and exercise and, and in those realms, even medicine. Um, yet, obviously, there's a huge amount of psychological variation between individuals. Um, we're actually seeing there's a predictability to that variation too. So we find that the practitioners come through and learn this. They actually they're able to navigate an individual's psychological trauma or mindset far faster with that level of predictability. Yeah, that is fantastic. Uh, that definitely resonates with me. I think um, that mind, body, you know, mental, physical, nutritional, then is uh, where the answer is. And maybe that's a good segue to sort of talk about the precision element of where you've gotten to with PH360, as well as uh, some of the background uh, in your own experience. Talk to us about the different types of people and their uh, relationship with food, I guess. We first need to know that everyone is different. And I think everyone knows that, but we don't always act on it. The way that we are different is actually very important to measure. Um, obviously, we have genetic tests, we have a waist circumference, we have lots of different ways to say, oh, you're different to this person. The way that bodies develop, uh, if you understand how they develop, actually tells a lot about how they are different. And from embryological foundations, when you're an embryo, there's three major layers that are making up the embryo. And in each of those layers, they contain specific organs that they're developing. So the ectoderm develops the nervous tissue and the skin. The mesoderm develops the musculoskeletal systems, the, the fat, the heart, the blood, the adrenal glands, the kidneys, the reproductive organs. The first one, the ectoderm, is very much about thinking and analyzing and sensing the skin and the nervous system. The mesoderm is very much about movement, fast movement, competitive movement, but everything related to really musculoskeletal action. And then the third layer is very much about metabolic control and conservation. So the pancreas, the thyroid, the liver, the digestive tract and the lungs, the many of the organs that allow you to conserve energy and control your metabolism are found in the endoderm. And so when you're developing, you have genes from your parents and you have the environment in the womb. And depending on the combination of those two things, you will develop a dominant layer or a dominant two layers that develop more than others. So the ectoderm and the mesoderm develop more than 
the endoderm, for example. And so when that happens, it's very specific milestones within development. That sets a trajectory forward that that person is going to develop with certain gene expression dominance and a certain hormonal dominance that come out of those layers that then change the shape of their morphology. It determines how they're going to be developing throughout their life, so much so that at two years old, you can actually measure someone's phenotype and their morphology, their body size and shape, and it can start telling us what hormones are more dominant in their system. Do they have shorter femurs? Do they have a longer trunk? Do they have a a more square jaw? All of these things are related to testosterone levels, for example. If you look at your ring finger and index finger, if your ring finger is longer than your index finger, particularly if you're a male, but particularly if you're a, uh, on your right hand as well, but it, it relates across genders, it will indicate that you have higher testosterone level exposure during embryology. And then that means it changes the way that your body changes shape. So you end up with a longer ring finger than index finger. But it also uh, is associated with higher levels of action orientation, higher levels of aggressiveness and competitiveness and directness with language. So there's a behavioral influence of that testosterone as well. And if it's dominant throughout your life, your body gets used to those dominant hormones. So much so, we end up with higher testosterone levels often accompany higher adrenal levels because they're both found in the, the mesodermic layer. And so we end up with someone who is more muscular, we end up with some, or at least visible musculature, more, more sinewy. You can see more of their muscle. Think of the typical CrossFit athlete, you know, shorter in stature because the testosterone shortens the femur and femur is the, the key determinant of how tall you're going to be. Uh, they have a longer trunk, but they have this square jaw, square face. They develop muscle very evenly throughout their body. They stay quite lean. And that, that's a characteristic of higher adrenaline levels and higher testosterone levels throughout development. And what we also notice with that development is that they're more competitive and more direct because their brain is searching for testosterone and adrenaline in all parts of their life because that feels normal to them. And so that's one type of body, I guess, that can be classified. We call them the activator. We also know that, so this is coming from a a mesodermic dominance, mesodermic hormone dominance, change in structure and shape of the body, and it also influences behavior. And to give this person a little bit more flesh, you'll know them, they are shorter, They're active. They love the mornings. They are full of energy as soon as they wake up in the morning. They will eat a chair if they don't eat food regularly because they just get very, very hangry all of the time. And they love competing and they love really high-intensity stuff. They'll find that they'll just be driven to – they'll just be ready to move. And so you see this energizer bunny. They're an early chronotype. They get up first thing in the morning and they're just charging through the day, but then they crash in the afternoon. And they can be really direct with their language because that inspires adrenaline and testosterone to be in a little bit of conflict. They don't mind it. Whereas a body that develops out of a different part of the embryo, we call them the guardian, they develop out of the endoderm, which is the conservation organs, the liver, the pancreas, the thyroid, the digestive tract. And we know that insulin and prolactin are more dominant and growth hormone are more dominant in these bodies. And so these bodies grow more than other bodies. They end up much bigger. And you think of a Pacific Island population, they've got a very large stature. And what makes that stature is lots of growth hormone, higher prolactin levels. Interestingly, what prolactin does, prolactin makes you more uh, selfless. It, it's, I'm going to give you all of my breast milk, prolactation, and I don't expect anything in return. But guys and girls can be higher in this prolactin level, and it makes you more selfless, more family-oriented. And so we have these bodies that get very big, when they eat lots of food and they've got this slow metabolism and they're battling with their weight their whole life, 
but they're also incredibly giving and generous and they have this capacity to give to other people that other people don't because they have this incredible resilience that comes from their ability to grow. But they're much more predisposed to excess, and that is the the diabetes and the heart disease and the weight accumulation. But when you see them en masse, they are an incredibly family-oriented population that that really honour size and strength, you know, because this is what they are. They're very, very strong individuals. This is a body that needs maybe two meals per day, two to three meals per day. They do far better not doing HIIT training in the morning, but strength training in the afternoon because they need to maximize their inner strength. And that is to lift heavy things because that's what their big muscle cross-section area is all about. They don't do so well with high protein and high carbohydrates because they already grow enough and it stimulates an overproduction of insulin of which they already produce a lot. And they have a natural insulin resistance that comes along with their disease as well. So we have these two bodies as a comparison. We have the mesodermic dominant body that develops into a very different individual and then the the endodermic and then the ectodermic is the last one there's six major types of these individuals and i guess i wanted to give those two examples so that you can really see that how we develop in the womb influences then how our body develops as we as we grow up and that will then influence the how our metabolism works as well whether it be down to nutrition and exercise even behavioral tendencies as well. I think it's fascinating, but you know, we'll put some links below to uh, the respective websites so people can get into more detail there. That kind of sets up the whole idea of being more precise in the way that healthcare is actually delivered. I wanted to ask you a question just before I forget. So at that two-year age, that's pretty much your destiny, so to speak, in terms of how you're moving forward in life, you know, physically. Can you change it? Can you switch from, you know, from a guardian to one of the others, for example? Is, is that possible? So it's a good question. Uh, at two, we can start seeing characteristics in the phenotype which really allow us to define it, but it actually, that transition is happening in embryological stages before you're born. The trajectory is set before you are actually birthed. Right. So uh, as far as changing things, it's very important to understand that these shapes are very much based on skeletal structure. So your skeleton doesn't change dramatically throughout your life, even if you were to become osteoporotic or a bit shorter. There's still very similar ratios in your bones, same thickness, same width. And so understanding that you get mapped onto a 360-degree circle, which is a, a, your variation of ectoderm, mesoderm, endoderm dominance, and you can move 20 to 30 degrees around the circle in your lifetime, but you can't go from, you know, we talk about these bodybuilders that say, oh, I sat on the couch for, you know, four weeks and I became an endomorph and then... I trained for 12 weeks and I became a mesomorph and then I stopped training and started doing endurance and I became an ectomorph. Uh, that's not how it works. So the true somatotypes is actually built into the skeleton and into embryological foundations. And we've been able to define and really uh, cross-compare what these measurements mean for hormones and genes and things like that to reverse engineer that information. So you don't drastically change your type because you change as much as your skeleton does, I guess, probably the way to think about it. Well, it makes a lot of sense. And I guess that brings it back to the whole uh, idea of precision healthcare because by knowing that much more about yourself and particularly with the healthcare practitioners that you're working with, by them also knowing how to actually see the differences between the person physically as well as anything else that they're trying to deal with in terms of their healthcare you're starting to get a much more tailored set of plans and therapies and interventions and what have you to to move forward with in terms of working with a person. Is that sort of a fair summary? Absolutely. You know, and you only need to 
and give someone, you know, oh, you need to decrease your stress. Great. You should go and do a meditation. And you get someone, the activator, the mesodermic dominant body who just needs to move and they need excitement and they need competition. In a yoga class or meditation class, they're looking around to seeing if they're meditating better or they start getting antsy and they want to move and it actually irritates them to sit down and do nothing for an hour, whereas their meditation would be going to box something and do something that really blows off some steam, whereas the guardian with that family orientation, their meditation would be spending time with family because that creates stability for them and makes them feel really fulfilled because that's what a lot of their hormones are driving them to do. And so when you start targeting, oh, should we start with food or exercise or you know, which parts of the food should we start with? You can be so precise now. Um, and it really cuts through a lot of the noise because, you know, we'll find people who have finally found their their mixture of what makes them healthy. And it's taken them 10 years of very concerted trial and error and very high levels of discipline. Whereas we can cut that short now and say, this is your phenotype. This is what this says about your metabolism and how it works and how your genes have been expressing over time. Walk this way for a short period of time and you find that people normalize back to themselves and to a healthy homeostasis a lot faster. So knowing where to go first is probably you know, the, the greatest thing that we could learn as health professionals because we're, we then are shortening the time that it takes to get someone a result, which then leads to ongoing adherence as well. That's a big idea in terms of how to improve that and actually really get that engagement from, uh, from patients and clients towards, uh, towards the outcomes they're looking for. You've also explained the reference in the branding there of pH 360. It's, it's about actually having that um, understanding of what the different, the six key types of people are, how to work with them or how to get the best communication going with them. Is that, is that what I understood from you earlier? The best communication, the best types of approaches to actually work with that person. Is, is, that, is that a fair summary? That's right, yeah. So there's six major types that come from the embryological layers, but then obviously everyone is an individual within those types as well. So there's within the, the classification models now, there's an infinite amount of variability and you can have a activator type with threads of other types as well that makes them up to be that individual. So that's, that's the first one that's really important. We're not just talking about six types and I know you weren't alluding to that, but it's important I provide some clarity. And then the second thing, yeah, absolutely. We have some people... Uh, you only need to think about, as a health professional, you only need to think about someone who has been your consistent client. They've been struggling with their weight for many, many years. They've been working with you. They've got some small results, but they keep turning up and they want to catch up with you every single week just because they love the connection and the support. They're not actually there for your advice or your information. They might sound like they are, but they're actually there because you've become part of their family. And what family members do is we hang out with each other and we we use that support to feel good like my my social circle is stable. Whereas you then have somebody, he walks in, he's a leader at his business, he's lean, he doesn't have much trouble, he just wants to put on a little bit of body fat mass and improve his times in his races by just a few percent because he's tracking everything on his Garmin. He's just wanting to, you know, he's right on the weekend, he's just losing a bit of power up this particular hill and he just wants to improve his, his power percentages or whatever it might be. He gives you, you know, his background, you give him information and then you don't see him for six months and you go, geez, I wonder where my client went. And he said, that was the best consult I've ever had. You know, I got all of the information that I need. I don't need any of the support. And that's because they're built completely differently, you know, and understanding that you don't have to keep pushing that person to catch up with them. You just want to provide lots of information because they are information-driven individuals. This is more from the, the ectodermic, the, the nervous system dominant development where they have a dominance in dopamine and vasopressin and things that make uh, knowledge and the amount of information you have very valuable to them. 
one person's information, the other person is literally, do you connect with them at a personal level? And that's why they'll keep turning up. And even without results, they'll keep turning up. Whereas the second person will not come back if he doesn't get a result. It's just not it. Like this is, I paid for a result here. So I didn't get it. Well, I'm going to someone else, someone who's more of an expert. That difference is huge and very important to understand. My brain's just firing in so many different directions at the moment, but I'm sort of thinking about, you know, from a practice management standpoint, there can be, you know, trying to manage that statistic around adherence or uh, retention. And then, you know, if you kind of take a one size fits all approach by using that particular statistic, you could actually not be getting the full story because of the different types of patients that are actually being treated by a given practitioner without knowing whether they need that rich information right now that they can take away and they won't see you for six months as you've alluded to versus the type of uh, person who would actually want to keep coming regularly, even though they may have actually already achieved their goals or be quite comfortable with the way they're progressing in terms of their own personal management. Can you see the potential for uh, going into a lot more detail there around you know, how people will in the industry actually assess their own performance as healthcare practitioners. Absolutely. And this is what we see is we have a few gyms that have adopted the understanding of personalization and they bring it into their exercise classes. And so what they've got for the the bigger bodies that are normally so worried about their weight, the only weight they measure is how much they can lift because they are the strongest individuals. But the most important thing about the class is they have a coffee break afterwards where everyone gets together and forms as a community. And that for them keeps them at the business. Uh, it keeps them part of that community. Whereas you have other individuals walking in, all they want to see is their number, their name moving up on the leaderboard to make sure they're winning. And that's the only thing they care about. And from a practice management point of view, yeah, like the frequency that you would touch base and follow up and the guardian type body that we were talking about, you might've gone through a lot of information with them. They commit all of their energy to you because that's what they do. They're selfless. They go, oh, well, I'm in this. You're really passionate. So I'll do it with you. Two days later, you call them up and they say, I'm really overwhelmed. You know, this is so much and I'm not sure if I can do this. This person needs a care call two days, 24 to 48 hours after to make sure that they know that you're there as a support. And like even programming things like that in becomes very easy. But then, you know, even someone who's just there for the information, you can just have a newsletter that's just going out and giving them some updates on, oh, the latest information in this area. And they'll really value that as far as a just from a retention point of view, but even how you greet them, how you book their next appointment, all of those things can be optimized if you understand the person, for sure. I talk a lot about designing digital healthcare experiences in the delivery of healthcare from end to end, from you know prior to meeting a client to meeting a client to then continuing to have a relationship with the client. And what I could see is a potential to actually really hone in on what we call a persona or an avatar in terms of who your preferred, your best fit in terms of a client or the type of client group that you want to actually work with. Do you see members of the health professional community relate to some of the information and that kind of, you know, six types of people contextualization and really hone in on it in terms of who they want to target and who they want to actually feel as though they're offering the best value proposition for? Does that come up? Absolutely. And, and this is the fascinating component. She's a, a counsellor and a PT and a really, a really great speaker within the fitness and health industry. Came along to do that course and then straight away her whole client base was uh, women with prolapse and she was supporting them and all of them were two types of bodies and the bodies that are more likely to have collagen elasticity issues and so more flexible and more bendy I guess and this contributed to the injury that they experienced. She had that kind of population and then decided to run like she just wanted to make a bit of cash but also help a few people ran an epigenetic express challenge which 
For the nurturing individuals, that's not their language. They want to hear community support and gradual change and all of these types of things that really resonate with them. The individuals, every single one of the 25 people that she recruited into this challenge, all of them were the adrenaline, testosterone-focused individuals who love the word challenge, express, like short, high-intensity, this sounds awesome. And so from a marketing point of view, you can be incredibly specific about that. But it also, and what we notice is that, you know, when I'm coaching a type that has the same brain as me, it is so easy. The conversation is just so well understood. You take it for granted because then you go and talk to somebody who's quite different and you're just butting heads, the language, the expression. And unless you're aware of that, you just feel like this client's really, really hard work. Some people really resonate with individuals who are similar. You'll also find that uh, activators the really fiery ones make good motivators for the people who are sometimes a little bit slower and a little bit steadier with their approach because they get them out of that procrastination and into action. So just depending on what you're, what you're after, you can actually manipulate that a little bit. But having that self-awareness is, is key for sure. Would a health practitioner get a lot of value in terms of understanding themselves first and then figuring out you know, who they would most likely connect with and really cultivate that alliance you know, in terms of building good relationships with clients and patients? Yeah, definitely. So I guess an, an example for me, I'm, I've got a very logical brain. Some people are very linear with their thinking. Other people are quite abstract and quite lateral. And my brain is quite logical. And this is predictable and it's because I have a more dominant nervous system in my development. And so when I'm greeting someone who needs more excitement and more challenge to maintain their attention, I, I'm not great at making things up on the spot. I need lots of information to feel confident in material. And I need to come in well-prepared, essentially, whereas they just like doing things in the moment because that's what the adrenaline provides you energy for is this moment right now. This is the only one that matters. And so me knowing that about myself, I prepare ahead of time, how am I going to make this seem spontaneous? To keep them engaged, I go, this is going to be awesome. This is the first thing we're going to do is this. Let's get into that right now. And then off they go. I know in the back of my brain, though, I've got a plan for all of the stuff that we'll be doing over the next six months that I'm presenting them one piece at a time so that they can feel engaged. Whereas I have a logical structure of how I provide support for people who need more support because it's not my natural mode is to be in contact with all of my clients all of the time. And so I set up this standardized diary thing where every two days for the first couple of weeks, it tells me to text this person so that it's in my diary. Anything in my diary happens. I have this logical linear structure for how I provide selfless nurture, but it's, it's driven in a way that I understand myself. And so it also helps you navigate which people you really love and really like working with, but it also then helps you navigate people that you're not that familiar with really enhancing their experience. Cause as the health professional, you have to change to the person. You are in the service industry and when they don't get a result, it is your fault because you have not motivated them correctly or given them the right information or done something that has been enough for them. And this is the biggest trap that we see is health professionals, big blame games. You know, oh, they didn't follow it. They didn't adhere. Well, why didn't you support them in their adherence? And this information allows you to understand what is going to help them adhere better and also how can you manage yourself so that you don't get frustrated with that but can really do it in flow? That's awesome. I think whether somebody's uh, managing a, a healthcare practice, either an individual level or with a collection of healthcare practitioners or alternatively even designing health tech initiatives, honing in and really understanding who that target customer is 
is really key to sort of getting the design right and really sort of, you know, building that whole value proposition from end to end rather than kind of just being spray and pray, so to speak, you know, just marketing to anyone. It's better to be more specific and, and the more you know about your customer or who that avatar or persona represents, the easier it is to deliver a good quality service and actually get yeah. get the momentum going and get the velocity going in terms of the growth rate of that individual and practice as well. Certainly in health tech terms, that's been a, a golden rule for quite a number of years as we learn more about human behavior. I see a lot of value that uh, health practitioners could get out of learning more and working with you, Dr. Cam, just in understanding those different different personalities. So I guess that kind of leads us into the next part of what you're doing, because you've uh, also got some technology uh, that you offer as part of the overall service. Because on the one hand, you target consumers directly, and you're also working with healthcare professionals. Do you want to take us through the two different models and how the tech actually works through that as well? Yeah, absolutely. So the the tech is um, the same for both the health pros and the and the, the general population. But the idea is that people are going to come armed in the future. People will have access to what the best information is for them and they will come armed with that information to the health professional to say, can you help me interpret this and decipher it and take advantage of it? We spent 10 years and we're progressing that for the last decade as well for, for an extra decade on top of that is to say, how can we measure somebody's, the outside of their body? So with uh, simple as a tape measure and a questionnaire, very specific medical questionnaire based on developmental milestones and things like that. How can we understand their gene expression to a point where we can start providing really uh, influential information. And so that's essentially what we've achieved. So people, you can do the assessment in clinic. There's no delay with when you do the assessment to then when you have uh, an up and running application and platform. We measure 10,000 different correlations that are found in your phenotype, which are then reverse engineered back to chromosomes. There's been an incredible amount of data that we've collected over time to help us with that, that process. And so then once the app is up and ready, it gives you a categorized list of exactly the foods that are best for you, the time at which you want to eat those foods. Chronobiology is one of the most important things you can consider, and we don't have time to talk about it today, but it is to go and investigate chronobiology, probably one of the, the most important things you can do as a, as a practitioner looking at somebody's health. Chronobiology of food, of exercise, it'll actually give outputs into how these hormones are going to drive behavior. The physical environment, some people love air conditioning, some people hate it. Some people love natural qualities. Some people like a little bit of messy chaos in their house. Those things are actually predictable as well. And so it gives an incredible amount of information on the platform. And then the app is like the intuitive assistant that says, oh, hey, Cam, uh, it's time for you to do some stretching. This is the best time for you to do it based on X, Y, Z. And so it'll actually provide a time and action and even guidance on how to perform that. This is the best time for lunch. Here are a few recipes you know, now's a good time to wind down for your day and get ready for bed. Like it's got those individualized prompts in language that's suited to the brain that has done the assessment. And then as a health professional, you get a, a coaching panel access where you can understand a person's information, how their body is balanced, with the things that put it in and out of balance. And then with those tools and with an understanding of what's driving this person, you can create a fantastic relationship with them to then support them to take more notice of this and be that guiding hand as they navigate through some of the more difficult components of it as well. So we, we know that right now health professional plus technology results in a better result. And so instead of people coming armed with their own thoughts and processes and health professionals that sometimes get caught up in, oh, I just went to this conference on gut health, so everything now is a, a walking gut that I need to fix. It's not like that. It's about saying, right, of all of the information that we have that's relevant, 
what's the thing that we need to work on first and that really provides that elimination of guesswork and so all of this is sort of is designed to eliminate chronic disease and pain by the year 2050 that's our mission and so the tech's going to be progressing with our education component to that as well that supports health professionals to really carry out that task it looks amazing, uh, Dr. Cam, and um, we'll have some links to the respective websites uh, in the show notes as well so that people can get a, a really first-hand experience of it as well. What intrigues me is that complementary role that um, what you're doing could play with a practitioner's day-to-day health practice. What is the process for the health practitioner to play a role in this, both in terms of their own learnings, in terms of themselves, potentially to better understand the type of clients that they perform better with and who perhaps they could you know, market to and speak to in a in a much more optimized way. How complementary does it tie into the way that somebody's running their practice right now, as an example? Yeah, well, it's, it's a great question. So the learnings is quite easy. There's um, a simple course to go through to learn the foundations and then that, that prepares you to take the, the tech into your place of work. And essentially, everyone has an individual consultation and it's just during that individual consultation, you take some measures just like we would normally, whether it be anthropometry, whatever it might be. This takes half an hour. So you just uh, you actually gain a lot of their health data and history while you're doing the process too. So half an hour of assessment and you'll have an up and running piece of technology that you can start setting goals of straight away. But generally, we recommend that people use that initial consultation to gather their goals, to develop rapport, to do the assessment, send them away for a week and then come back or a few days come back and then you go through a goal setting process as well. So it's actually no change to anyone's practice. If you've got to do an initial assessment, this just forms part of that initial assessment and it's just like you know, asking someone to do a blood test except you don't need to do bloods for this. You send them away, There's a not, there might be an extra fee to it as well but that's something that the health professionals can profit from too. Our, our goal at PH360, particularly within the health professionals, is that they live their potential. And then they can support others to do the same. And so part of that we know is the business aspect of things. And so this can become just by referring people to, to get the, the profile done and then using that in their practice adds another nice piece to their, their bottom line as well. So that on top of the marketing support and really getting optimized with your language and who you are, that's, that's a big part of it. Is there potential for practitioners to start to cooperate in a multidisciplinary way coming at it from a different point of view? So in broad terms, if we say mental health, working with physical health you know, nutritional working with mental health. Do you see that happening amongst the healthcare practitioners that you're working with? Absolutely. Yeah. And I went to an ESSA conference, exercise physiology conference in 2012. And I'll never forget this speaker who was speaking about the siloed practice through to multidisciplinary, through to interdisciplinary, which is I understand sections of behavior and of nutrition, but I'm an exercise physiologist. And I know that this person is an early chronotype and is probably going to need six meals per day. This individual over here is driven by adrenaline and testosterone. They're going to need competition and challenge to feel good and motivated. They're all things that are outside their scope of practice, but they have an understanding. And so the communication can be incredible. You know, it's got, hey, I've got a guardian coming to you. I'm referring you a guardian. Immediately, the person on the other end of the phone knows I've got to be nurturing for this person. I know this person's going to be probably dealing with weight. I know this person is going to be getting this type of coaching right now. How can I interact with that? And so it just short circuits that ability for you to interact, but it does it in a way where you have an understanding of why the other person is going to be operating the way they are and really allows that level of expertise to come to the fore while you're all speaking the same foundational you know, uh, language too. So that, that's 
you know, something where we're very excited by. We've got a really engaged community, individuals who have been through the course, and the, the interdisciplinary work is, is really wonderful, and that's something we're always looking to improve too. I guess that's a good segue into a, a question I like to ask as we uh, tail off with the podcast. But in terms of where you see things going, uh, compared to where we are today, what is healthcare going to look like over the next five to 10 years, let's say, given your own drive, your own mission, I guess your own perception of what would be ideal given what you're working on? Essentially, over the next five to 10 years, we are going to have the majority of the population will have access to truly personalized insights into what is going to be optimal for them. And with even in the next two to three years, artificial intelligence supporting them with that as well. So an individual will be walking down the street and the best thing that they could be doing for themselves right now is have a green tea based on a number of different factors that are happening in their body at this given time. And the AI will read that they're walking between two appointments and there's a cafe on the way. It'll say, oh, hey, there's a cafe 30 meters off your route. Uh, would you like me to order you a green tea? Because this is optimal for you right now. And so it's like, oh, yes, thanks, uh, Shay. And so you walk past, the green tea is already paid for. Uh, you pick it up, you drink it, and you optimize your health in that moment. You know, this is based on your wearable integration. Oh, your HRV has been up for the last two hours. This is only six to 12 months away. We've noticed that you're in a state of stress for the last two hours. Uh, it's really good for your brain to rest after 90 to 120 minutes of that type of activity. The best thing that you can do for your body is grab a piece of citrus, but also there's this song that if you play it, it's got certain beats in it that are going to then rest your brain for the next 10 minutes. And then you perform that activity that will play through your device. And then you check it and your HRV has gone back to a nice parasympathetic state. You've had that rest or it doesn't work and it will then teach itself to provide a different option next time as well. And so all of these little things about how we can interact with health it means that health professionals can be so precise with the things that they're working on. But also, one of the most exciting things as we progress into the next 10 to 20 years is health will become norm. As opposed to disease being the norm, it will become the norm. And what happens then, this is a really weird thing to think about, what happens if most of us are healthy? How do we interact with life? Like This is where the journey doesn't become about oh, reversing my disease and it becomes about optimizing my life's purpose, knowing that I've got my health to carry it out. It's a far-fetched uh, conversation for most people because we are in such a disease treatment mentality. But what we're going to be having over the next 15 to 20 years is this huge explosion in artificial intelligence-driven health, which is able to just pinpoint things so much faster. Health professionals are trained in manipulating that, just like we can manipulate computers right now and you know, that was going to take all of our work. Well, no, computers don't, but it, they support our work. And that's exactly what this technology will do too. But we'll be just operating in a completely different paradigm where things are solvable, uh, where we have answers to things and where we can actually focus on being our best selves rather than just surviving. You know, there's uh, so many applications of that, whether it be through work, with family, at home. But this is, this is very much where we're going. And, and having that mentality and having that drive and engaging in that vision is, is, is very inspiring for me and I, it, it inspires a lot of individuals to really be optimistic about where we're going with everything. That definitely resonates uh, with me uh, and uh, I would concur. I think precision healthcare is where it's all heading as we kind of learn so much from having tried uh, healthcare interventions that are based on a you know 51% effectiveness rate across a sample group as an example and then realising that you know the intervention doesn't work for a lot of people and so 
you know, we have to be more precise and we have to be more customized and get, you know, right down to the individual level. And, the, you know, the rate of the internet uh, evolution at the moment means that we literally are moving at data light speeds and, you know, we're, we're moving into quantum computing, the speed at which we can actually get data and then do something with it has never been quicker and that's just going to accelerate faster and faster as well. I think technically I can see the uh, potential of what you're talking about there getting probably a little bit sooner uh, rather than later. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how healthcare reimagines itself to kind of work in cooperation with an individual through the course of their life rather than um, necessarily reacting to, I guess, a, a decline in optimal healthcare as you uh, described it and then trying to do something about that and kind of being the the responder as opposed to the partner in life, you know, and supporting that person through their through their respective goals. Uh, so Shaya is the name of your application, isn't it? I just want to bring that out. We'll, we'll have a link to that as well. So uh, so when you made that reference to Shaya actually, you know, mentioning that you should have a green tea, that's an amazing possibility there. And you were saying you're about 12 months away from some changes to, to Shaya in terms of doing some of these things. So right now, it'll just prompt you, like, this is the best time for you to do things. This is how you should hear it. This is the best time for you to sleep. This is a great time for you to exercise. This is some stretches you should do right now. Like, that's coming through in the app in notifications right now. The next generation will be wearable integration into that, which is very, very close. Like, oh, you didn't have a great sleep last night. These are the four things that you can do right now to recover you best from your sleep versus, oh, you're thinking about going to bed, but if you stay up two hours later, this is what your day is going to look like tomorrow energy-wise. So those things are really exciting. That is, Shay, the Smart Health Assistant Experience, and it's meant to be uh, Siri for your health, essentially, is the way they've tagged it. Love it, love it. Dr. Cam, thank you so much for uh, coming in and uh, telling us about Shay and everything that you're doing with PH360. We didn't get enough time to talk about one of your missions to eliminate chronic disease and pain, which, um, again, we'll put a, a link in the show notes there because I think it's really important for people to really connect with your drive and your objectives overall, uh, I guess the the why. So once again, thank you. So health is the new normal. That's where we're going over the next five to 10 years and beyond. And we're going to be much more personalized uh, in terms of the way that healthcare is uh, delivered to us and how we actually maintain that optimization. So thank you so much, Dr. Cam. I appreciate it. No, thanks so much, Yanni. Really appreciate your time. Thanks for listening. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Health Tech X, where we are working toward a world of integrated digital health empowerment for all people. If you'd like more info on how to get involved, head over to the website, healthtechx.com.au. Or if you have any feedback about the show, you can reach out to me directly on LinkedIn, Instagram, or email by following the links in this episode's show notes. And finally, don't forget to subscribe to Reimagining Healthcare in your podcast app. And if you like what you heard, leave us a five-star review. It really helps other people find the show. I'm your host, Yanni Sopanos, and I'll speak to you in our next episode.